What is up, guys? We are back with another episode. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that often gets just kind of brushed under the rug. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, let's not talk about that. That's it doesn't really matter. It's not a huge issue. And we'll, we'll come into why that's the case in, in a second. Um, but the topic today we're going to talk about is amenorrhea. Now, myself and Gary have talked about amenorrhea a few times on the podcast because it is something that you see a lot in the health and fitness world. It's very common, unfortunately. And it's also something, as I just said, that people just, they're like, meh, it's just not an issue. When in reality, it actually is an issue. It is something that we need to pay attention to, right? Now, as I said, myself and Gary have talked about this a few times on the podcast, but unfortunately, um, Gary is not here to join us today, but we actually have someone who is better at all of this stuff uh, than Gary, who's actually more intelligent than Gary with all of this female-related stuff. And so we're going to continue on the female podcast series that we're doing at the moment, and we welcome back Dr. Nicola. So Nicola, amenorrhea, What's the story there? Yeah, so amenorrhea um, is fine as you've you've two types of amenorrhea. So you've your um, primary amenorrhea. So that will be um, girls who have never had a period, and then you have secondary amenorrhea. So that's someone who has had their first period and then has lost it um, for whatever reason. Um, so the reason why we're talking about it today is that it's extremely common in the health and fitness world, particularly secondary cause of amenorrhea which is functional hypothalamic amenorrhea um, which can be caused by a low energy deficiency state or a mismatch in um, energy energy intake and energy output um, it's extremely common um, and with the loss of a period can have huge amount of physical and psychological effects on a woman um, and it's something that we we don't really talk about enough we don't um, know a lot about it um, and it's something that is only really coming to the forefront now and um, particularly the American Association of Ob- Obstetricians and Gynecologists they're now considering the menstrual cycle as a vital sign so counting it as your fifth vital sign and that having a regular menstrual cycle um, should be considered you know a barometer for hormonal health um, so I suppose that's what we're kind of putting forward to today um, and it's something that's extremely common like we said in the health and fitness world yeah and I think that like thinking of it as a vital sign is actually really important to do because the way I look at it like if, say for example your hair just started falling out right you would be oh Jesus okay I need to go to a doctor I need to look into this is there a cause for this is there something that I've done is there something that I need to do whatever right but if your period just stopped and you just stopped having a period, a lot of people go, that's fine, you know? And some of that's true ignorance. And I don't mean that to be like, you know, condescending being like, oh, it's so stupid, ignorant. You don't know about this stuff, but it's just not talked about. You could have, you know, like, again, like most women, they don't have this perfect 28 day cycle. So if there's any changes to that, they might not understand, oh, well, this is what's happening or this is why this happened or this is the cause because female health as this is why we're doing this podcast series it's not really well put out there. It's not really well thought, thought in you know, education systems, like in school and whatever else. Um, and you can be left in a position going like, is this just normal? Does this just happen? Uh, is this okay? And then some of the solutions that people offer, you know, even doctors and stuff, it's not necessarily actually solving the issues. You know, it, again, it can be brushed under the rug, even in the medical community, especially when you come in with this kind of like secondary amenorrhea. It can be like, okay, how do we deal with this? The 
the I hate saying it, the root cause is is not addressed, you know, um, and that's not, not a knock on the medical system. It's just one of these things that, you know, it can, it's very easy to slip through the cracks, here, right? So when we're talking about amenorrhea, there's also this other topic that's often talked about in the health and fitness world, which is this topic of red S, right? Uh, relative energy deficiency syndrome. I think it used to have a different name, but the S was, was different, but either way, right? You'll see red S put out there, right? And we just want to put out there that these are effectively the same thing. When we're talking about this secondary amenorrhea, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about primary and secondary in a second, but when we're talking about the secondary amenorrhea, like it is kind of the same same thing as this red S that you'll see talked about. And the reason I want to make that or emphasize that is because there's actually a lot of research on red S, you know, there's a lot of research on amenorrhea. Um, but oftentimes when we're talking to a health and fitness population, they don't necessarily tie those two things together and tying the two, those things together really actually helps us understand what to do next, because I don't want this you know, podcast, this episode to be just oh, here's a topic, here's all the information about it, see you later. I want you to come away from this episode and go, oh, this is something that I'm dealing with. What do I do? What's the, the plan of action? Now, look, I'm not a doctor. Nicola, you're a doctor, but you're still not seeing the patient. You're not seeing the individual in front of you. So we can't give you medical advice. However, we can give you an idea of, oh, this is what the research says. Now you need to go out and either you know, talk to your own practitioner, talk to your own doctor, or be like, oh, well, I actually need to make these changes. And obviously, I know a lot of personal trainers, coaches, nutritionists listen to the podcast. So you have to be able to see the signs, notice what's going on, and then also be able to help guide someone through this. Now, again, I'm not saying they have to be a doctor. You have to be a doctor if you're a coach. You have to know all this stuff. But you have to at least go, oh, this is an issue. This is something that we need to deal with what's the generalized overview of how we deal with this stuff, you know? So I don't know where you want to really start with the, the, the meat and potatoes of this episode, Nicola, but uh, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. So that's a big thing. And even though I am a medical doctor, I, I no way, you know, diagnose or treat any of my clients with triage. Um, but this is important for um, not only people that have, that are, that, um, have a medical background that are training clients, but for general personal trainers as well, um, and even for clients themselves to have um, a background knowledge of this sort of stuff. You don't need to, like I said, diagnose and treat, um, but you can be um, an advocate for your client and be able to, um, you know, pinpoint, identify people who might be at high risk of amenorrhea, um, of relative energy deficiency. So I think that's important. Um, again, like we were saying, knock on effects of health, you know, whether that's, you know, physical, psychological and effects on, on performance. Um, so red S or relative energy deficiency syndrome or sport. Um, it's a relatively new term. Um, I think it was about 2014, 2015 and that that came out because beforehand it was more so known as a female athlete triad um, and female athlete triad um, consists of low bone mineral den density um, either eating disorders or um, a low um, energy state 
and then amenorrhea or the loss of periods. Um, so this was this was used to describe, um, you know, female athletes kind of back in early 2000, back in the 90s, who were suffering um, stress fractures, who were suffering um, menstrual irregularities. Um, and so when they looked in further into that, um, they were they were discovering this, um, you know, relative energy deficiency syndrome um, and the impacts, again, that that was having on health and performance. So contributing factors of this um, are overexercising. Um, so, and this isn't just, this isn't like we were saying, just specific for athletes. This can happen in the general population and people that are um, exercising, particularly seen in like HIIT training, high intensity interval training, endurance training. Um, so it's, it's overexercising um, and then teamed with inadequate um, energy intake. Um, so you've nutritional factors um, with that, whether that's a lack of nutritional knowledge, whether that's um, lack of nutritional supports or even a lack of motivation to um, have adequate nutrition. So let's say you're an athlete um, and you're just really uh, maybe not, not, I don't want to say not that bothered to adequately fuel, but you might be um, of the opinion that, you know, okay, well, if I eat less, then I'll weigh less um, and then I'll have better performance and I need to be smaller for my specific sport um, or, you know, dance, ballet, gymnastics, whatever it is. That's the thing um, with that. This is the really insidious thing with that, where it actually works for some sports. You know, being lighter, it's like, oh, you actually see your performance increase. But you're at this double-edged sword now where you're actually seeing a performance decrease over the long term or at least a stagnation of performance because you're not fueling adequately. So it's 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 very easy to see how it's it's a seductive thing to do. Being like, again, like say you're an endurance runner, for example, you're like, oh, well, if I was a little bit lighter, I wouldn't have to carry as much weight and I would be faster when I'm running. And all of a sudden you lose some weight and you notice, oh, my fitness has improved here. My performance has improved here. But then we end up in this case where you're actually causing issues down the line absolutely and 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 that's the thing so that comes back to you know maybe lack of motivation to um adequately feel because being lighter is preferable um in, in your sport um you know then there's uh, body image and dissatisfaction so there's high rates of um you know body image and dissatisfaction in the athlete population um and as well, um, a huge thing is that sometimes losing your period can be celebrated in sport. You know, you're working so hard that your period is gone. Um, so there's a lot of social factors involved there. Um, and then disordered eating and eating disorders, again, are very prevalent in the athletic population, too. Um, so there's a number of different factors. Um, then, you know, we're also talking about um, stress. So that's psychological stress from from the sport um, and, you know, external stressors as well. Um, and then we know that. Um, you know, high cortisol um, can be, you know, a cause um, and an effect of amenorrhea. Um, so these these are all things that that we need to to consider when when we're thinking about red S. So like I said, you know, um, so female athletes they were getting um, irregular menstrual cycles, they were having stress fractures, and so the female athlete triad was um, created. So subsequently, then 
why Red S was developed to have it, I suppose, inclusive, inclusive of males as well, because this is something that can affect men. Um, women have that early warning trigger of, um, you know, a lack of menstrual cycle. And men aren't as, I suppose, fortunate in, in some ways to have that, but they do still suffer with um, the same thing. And it really is important to understand that this is something that affects men as well. Even though we're talking about amenorrhea here, like all the stuff that we're talking about, if you've ever listened to a, I don't know, a physique competitor, male or female, you will basically see them describe all of the symptoms here. Now, maybe not all the symptoms, they're not talking about bone mineral loss or anything like that, which we'll, we'll talk about later. But, you know, um, you'll see them describe all of the symptoms. And the reason for that is they're basically subjecting themselves to controlled starvation, right? So they're subjecting themselves to this controlled, somewhat uh, low energy availability, right? And we'll talk about low energy availability a little bit more in a second, right? But they get all of these symptoms. You'll see the women be like, oh, like I'm, you know, whatever, 10 weeks out from a show, eight weeks out from a show. And, you know, I lost my cycle, you know, and you'll see guys say stuff like, oh yeah, I'm a couple of weeks out from a show. And like, oh my, like libido, libido, however you say that word, they're like, it's just kind of non-existent. I don't really, you know, I don't think about sex. I don't think about that kind of stuff, you know? So they're seeing hormonal changes and even people in the general public will know this. They'll, they'll have heard about this stuff before. They'll hear like, oh, you know, dieting excessively causes, you know, hormonal issues, or they'll be like, oh, like women shouldn't, you know, train too hard because there's hormonal issues that can occur a lot of the stuff that's put out there is a bit like a pseudoscientific it's correlative it's not causative it's not the actual cause and we'll talk about that in a second um but a lot of people are aware of this but at the same time a lot of people are unaware of what's actually going on right and i want to make it really you know impressive on people that this is stuff that occurs with men and women like obviously we're talking about amenorrhea here because it's a very like, like you said, an early warning sign. It's like, okay, you've got something going on. You know, something has happened here that's different. What has changed, right? Uh, whereas for guys, it can be very slow to realize, you know, like if you're just like, oh, like let's say, for example, normally you're like, oh, I want to have sex every single day, right? And then it goes down to like four days per week, you know? You're not going to really notice, be like, oh, there's something hugely massively wrong here, you know? You're just not going to not notice that, right? Whereas if you're a woman and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I was, you know, I had this perfect regular 28 day cycle and now all of a sudden it's not happening, you know, or there's changes here. It's six weeks this time and something else, you know, it's like you have a little bit more of an early warning sign, which is really beneficial. Now, the one of the kind of, I suppose, annoying things as a coach for me as well, you see this all the time is people will almost, like you said, not celebrate it necessarily, but they'll be like, oh, it's just not an issue. It's not something that that really matters. Some people even say like, oh, it's kind of a benefit. You see this in the health and fitness world. They're like, oh, I just don't have to deal with my period. I just don't have to deal with that. And like, it's quite handy, you know? And that's a very easy thought process to get in. I can imagine as a woman being like, look, I don't have to deal with this stuff. I don't have to, you know, buy period supplies. I don't have to do any of that stuff. It's just, you know, I can just get on with my sport or I can just get on with my activities. I don't have to think about this stuff, you know? And that's a very poor thought process because of all the negatives that we actually see. And we'll talk about those in a second, right? But before we get into that, unless you want to talk a bit more about anything to do with Red S, but the next thing I want to kind of move on to is like, what's actually going on? Like talk us through this kind of like primary versus secondary amenorrhea, and then talk us a little bit about what's actually causing the issues here. Yeah. So 
the the one thing that I that I will say about Red S as well is that there are you know screening tools that can identify um you know athletes that are um at high risk of um of relative energy deficiency syndrome there are um you know questionnaires like the um low energy availability females questionnaire again these are all when you see this questionnaire they're all things that you should be asking clients anyway based on injuries and gastrointestinal health reproductive function and but they are good things to look at if you are thinking you know could um, my client could my athlete could they be at risk for for something like this um but then yeah but backpedaling to what is amenorrhea in the first place um so you have your primary and your secondary so primary, like I was saying, is um, a girl or a woman who has never had a period. Um, so that might be, you know, um, genetic causes um, that might be, uh, again, eating disorders, um, low energy availability at that age. Um, and then there's secondary so that's you have had that initial period and you've subsequently lost it for whatever reason. Um, so functional um, hypothalamic um, amenorrhea is the one that we're talking about um, most, which is associated with the low energy availability states. Um, there's other um, other hypothalamic um, dysfunctions as well. Um, so functional hypothalamic amenorrhea is the most common but you also have um ovarian dysfunctions um pituitary dysfunctions um you know inflammatory bowel disease um thyroid disorders um celiac disease etc so the thing with we're focusing primarily on um uh, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea um and really it's a diagnosis by exclusion and you want to be ruling out all these other organic causes first. Um, and this is something that I have seen with, with clients in the past where whether they have, um, you know, post-pill amenorrhea um, or whether they've come to me and they're like, you know, am I exercising too much? Um, and then it turns out that they might have um, like a hyperprolactinemia or something like that. And that's why that they had lost their, their period. And so actually like scaling back um, on their training and increasing nutrition might not be actually, it might be just de de delaying a diagnosis of something completely different. So this is something, again, if you are a personal trainer or you, um, you know, or go to the gym, an athlete, it's not something to take upon yourself. And it is something that you need to work with the GP, work with medical professionals on to rule out those other things before you arrive at the diagnosis of um, HA. And that's really important because, again, this is one of those areas where there's a lot of, like, I don't know what you want to call it, like poor, I was going to say pseudoscience, but it's not even pseudoscience. It's just poor information being put out. And it's very hard because there is a, like we'll kind of discuss here, there's kind of a really clear causative pathway here. So you can get, again, seduced into the thinking like, oh, I've got the secrets here. I know exactly what's going on. Uh, but there are actually other things that could be going on. And yeah. to kind of elucidate this, for example, like you could have, we'll say primary amenorrhea right but that primary amenorrhea could be caused by what we're going to talk about here now in a second that low energy availability you often see this for example in athletes who just you know have been a, a female athlete their, their whole life you know they're maybe a, a swimmer or an endurance runner or gymnast whatever they're basically doing a lot of training and their whole life they have been eating a low amount of food because either their training volume is just you know excessively high that they're just not able to eat that much food to keep up with that and you know as a child you know even like a teenager you're not necessarily thinking about this as much you know oftentimes you'll see people like that where they have uh 
like stunted height, for example, you know, maybe you're the only child in your family. That's the athlete child and everyone else, your, your sisters, whatever are, you know, they're just free living. They're not, they're not athletes. And you're like, well, I didn't have the same growth development that they did. You know, like I used to see this all the time in, in boxing, for example, like you'd see people that were like really aggressively always trying to make weight, you know, guys, for example, and they would just be shorter than their siblings, you know, and it's because they're not actually getting enough food at these critical periods of time. So that's technically classed as primary amenorrhea because you never had a period. Like you could be whatever, 17, 18, you, you see this all the time and they're like, oh, I've never actually had my period. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have what is traditionally or you know commonly thought of as primary amenorrhea, like you have a genetic condition or, you know, I don't know, a, a tumor on uh, your fucking thyroid or your pituitary gland or something like that, you know? It's not necessarily that, it's actually the, the, the functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, you know, but you just, ne- you were just doing it for so long that it, you never had your first period, <laughs> you know? Um, so this stuff is very complicated, but hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a little bit more clarity in terms of understanding how to kind of navigate this stuff, because what we're kind of talking about with this FHA, this functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, like you oftentimes see it in response to like dietary changes or exercise habits and stuff like that. So you can kind of more clearly see, uh, uh, I always get these words mixed up, an etiology or etymology, whichever one is the right word. Uh, you can more clearly see what's going on here. You can be like, oh, this is what happened. We are now in a low energy availability state. This is why, what caused this. But even within that, there are certain things, certain habits that people do that like, and we'll kind of, we'll touch on it in a second, but in terms of stuff like, you know, fasting, like intermittent fasting, you could be like, oh, I'm still eating enough calories, but they're not like spread out throughout the day. And then all of a sudden you run into issues. And this is very common in just the, the general public as well. Like it's not even like an athlete or anything. You know, it's like someone will just be like, oh yeah, I only eat like, you know, lunch and, and dinner. And I'm having these like menstrual irregularities and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well, this could be, you know, it's not saying it is because look, I'm not a doctor, you are a doctor, but we're not, the person listening to this is doctor. And that could be caused by this low low energy availability, you know, but it could be something completely different, you know? So this stuff is very tricky to navigate. And again, unfortunately, there's just not, like, I wish I had like a little guidebook that I could just give people and be like, do this, do this. Oh, you've got rule this out. Boom, go to the next thing, you know? Um, But unfortunately we don't, that's why we're doing this episode. But in terms of that, let's go a little bit, deeper into this kind of secondary amenorrhea go like well this functional hypothalamic amenorrhea right what's actually happening there right so let's say you're a woman here you've been cycling you know relatively regularly there's always going to be abnormalities here and there but you're relatively regularly cycling and then maybe you are like oh look you know i want to start dieting a little bit i want to lose some body fat you know summer's coming up i have a holiday book whatever the reason is right you want to start losing some body fat or perhaps you're an athlete um, and you just start training a little bit more, you know, whatever happens, you, you, you make some sort of changes, you know, and this could be a couple of months ago, could be a couple of weeks ago, but either way, what happens is all of a sudden you start noticing that, oh, well, actually it's been eight weeks and I haven't had a, a period, you know, you start noticing that you've actually lost your period and it could be just, you skip, skipped one. Um, or it could be that, oh, like this is just a longer and longer time period between, between these, either way, you start noticing issues. What's actually going on there? Yeah. So, and this, this is a big thing as well that I speak to clients about, because I feel like 
we have such a disconnect about what's actually going on in our body. And even for us saying, okay, if you have, you know, restricted calories or over-exercising, you know, you lose your period. Well, like how, how does that happen? How does it get from A to B? How do those things interact? Um, and it comes down to our endocrine system, which is essentially, you know, a complex dance of a load of, of hormones. All right. So the best way to think of it is, so we were thinking about th three main things. So we're thinking about our brain our hypothalamus in our brain. Then we have our pituitary gland, which sits just below it. Okay. And these interact then with in women um, our ovaries or gonads, um, and then men would be, be the testes. And the best way to think about these is the secretion of hormones from, from one place um, affects the secretion of another. And the best way to think about it, this is like a domino effect or a chain. Um, and if you have a break somewhere in that chain, um, it has a downstream effect on the rest of the hormones. So I know in previous episodes, we were talking about the menstrual cycle and we we're talking mostly about estrogen and progesterone. So when we're talking about, talking about um, a hypothalamic amenorrhea i'm just going to call it ha from now on because it's such a mouthful yeah. <laughs> also spe spelling amenorrhea every I, single time i'm like is there two time. m's two or no no every time have to autocorrect it yeah <laughs> but um you know how so backpedaling from just talking about estrogen and progesterone um you know we need to think back back to our brain okay and our hypothalamus so our hypothalamus um, will um, secrete um, gonadotropin releasing hormone. Again, another like big word. All right. Um, but when that's secreted, then it causes the anterior pituitary. So the next in the chain of command, it causes that to secrete um, LH and FSH. OK, so when those are secreted, then that causes the ovaries to stimulate our estrogen and progesterone. OK, so. When there's a break somewhere um, in that chain, um, it causes a dysregulation of the rest of it. And that's how we, you know, when, we, when we're not producing enough, um, you know, LH or FSH, um, it has an effect on the ovaries. And when we don't have, when we have inadequate estrogen and progesterone, we have um, menstrual cycle irregularities, okay? Um, and even, you know, backpedaling through that again, so how does um, the gonadotropin releasing hormone in the hypothalamus, you know, how, how does that get affected? Um, and that can get affected by, again, a number of other, um, you know, hormonal modifiers um, and things um, that can affect our appetite. So like our leptin, um, our ghrelin, our insulin, um, those also, they have an effect on something called kispeptin as well which is a neuropeptide, again, that impacts our gonadotropin releasing hormone. Um, and again, if we have a break somewhere um, in that chain, um, we, we can suffer uh, mental cycle irregularities. Hmm. Yeah. And I often think of this because, again, I am actually stupid, but the way I often think of it, I'm like, look, you as a woman, well, with a womb at least, you are trying to make that womb conducive to both you know, fertilization and then also like have a child, right? So some of these hormones, you know, notably estrogen and stuff is making that womb conducive to having a child, right? And then you, you uh, I suppose, excrete, I suppose you would say a, an egg, you know, you're like, oh, the egg is ready. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's ready to be fertilized if that's you know, possible here. And then you ovulate, right? And then in that egg, 
either, well, in the case of what we're talking about here, uh, it doesn't get fertilized, right? You then get this rise in progesterone, you get this corpus luteum, fucking rise in progesterone, whatever. And that's then going like, look, we actually, you know, we didn't get pregnant this month. So we actually, you know, we, we built this nice nest, if you will, but we don't need it, right? So get rid of it. And that's effectively what your period is. It's basically shedding the, the uterine lining and going like, look, we built this up nice and, you know, ready for implantation, ready for uh, pregnancy, but we don't need it, right? So you get rid of it, right? So if we start breaking down the signals that lead to, oh, you have to make this ready for implantation, pregnancy, et cetera, you know, estrogen, all those other signals previous to the egg being released and everything, then all of a sudden, why would you start, you know, shedding the lining of your womb? Like you don't, you didn't build the, the nest, if you will. So we see amenorrhea then, right? So it's, again, you just need to think of that domino kind of effect, you know, because people often get really stuck up on this in terms of they're like, well, what's exactly happening here? Like we could give you the exact like map of like, here's your brain, here's all the signals that occur all the way down to like literally your period, you know? But that's not necessarily all we actually want to know because we want to know, first of all, well, what's causing those signals to change? And then what are the symptoms that are occurring when those changes occur, right? And so that kind of brings us to the next step, which is what's causing those systems, like what's causing those uh, signals to change, right? So we have this normal, quote unquote, signaling from the hypothalamus all the way down. And we're like, right, this is the quote unquote normal cycle here, 28 days. We have it all, you know, mapped out. You can look at all these graphs online, etc. Um, but what happens to change that? Yeah. So um, like I was saying, so when, when we have, so things like our, our leptin, our ghrelin, our insulin um, and cortisol as well, um, they all have an effect um, on the hypothalamus and gonadotropin releasing hormone. Um, so so ghrelin, again, physiologically, that will increase, like your hunger hormone will increase when there's a low energy availability. Um, and you'll see in people with um, like, um, you know, anorexia nervosa, when they will classically have like really high levels of ghrelin, and um, they will um, be amenorrheic. Um, and then also, so leptin, um, again, is one of your satiety hormones, um, and that's found in your, your body fat cells. And the levels of that will be correlated to the, the level of body fat that you have, um, So which makes sense. I mean, the more, the more body fat you have, the more uh, leptin you have, so the more signaling that you'll have that you are full. Um, so um, those are things that, that will cause that um, dysregulation. So we have um either the low energy availability so i know you're talking about kind of fat free mass there um and calculating um energy availability this can also ha happen over a long term so it, it's either something that um so generally when it'll happen over a long term or it can happen during the day with fasting um, and this is something intermittent fasting is something at the minute that's such a, a buzzword um, but a lot of the research has been done in men um, so that doesn't necessarily translate over to women and you will find women that are exercising in a fasted state might be carrying on their fast throughout the day and are finding that they have menstrual cycle irregularities as well um, so it is something to to keep in mind whether you're a trainee or again or whether you're training um, a woman as well whether this is the right thing to do um, for for them yeah because this is something that's really it's really important to understand 
if I could even speak, there are a number of factors that play into this, right? But what it seems to be is the biggest factor is this kind of insulin signaling, right? And I, I hate when people talk about insulin signaling because we often see it described as this kind of a fat storage hormone. You know, people are like, oh, like I want to have my insulin as low as possible. And that's that's just a kind of really a misunderstanding of what insulin is doing, right? And obviously, look, we have all these other things that are playing into this, but they're also signaling through the same pathways that are affected by insulin. And what we really have to do before I get onto that is we have to think back evolutionarily, like why would all of this occur, right? And the reason for that is if you are someone who is, you know, whatever, hunter-gatherer, caveman times, you want to be in a position where not only do you survive, but especially as women, that the human race survives, right? And I said it before in the podcast, but like women are responsible for continuing the human race, right? One guy can get like a million women pregnant, right? So only one guy needs to survive right now. Again, genetically, not great. But as a woman, we need more women. Like if only one woman survived and a million men survived, the human race is not continuing there, right? So we need more women to survive in these situations. And as a result of that, hormonally, women are more sensitive to these changes to kick in these kind of like survival mechanisms, right? So in the case of having a low energy availability, a low uh, food availability in, in the environment, like whatever, it's an ice age, it's a drought, whatever happening, right? Women are able to kind of survive that a little bit longer by doing uh, things that are what we would think of as negative in the modern world, right? So they'll lower their resting metabolic rate. They'll basically like lower thyroid output. They'll stop moving around as much. They will like feel lethargic. They'll do all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas like me as a guy, like I'll literally fidget myself to death here, you know? Um, so that's why it's happening. But the signal that seems to be the strongest one is this kind of insulin signaling. Now there's a number of mechanisms in terms of like the actual cell signaling pathways that this goes through. Um, and we don't need to necessarily get into them because it's actually, it's quite complex, but it's actually not illuminating in terms of what we need to do other than knowing that this insulin pathway seems to be the, one of the strongest ones, right? Because it actually affects all these other things. And that's why I wanted to say like, people often think of like, oh, insulin is this like fat storage hormone. And that's really not the case. It's more of an energy availability hormone, right? It's more of a, a sense going, okay, how much energy do we have available to us? And that's why it impacts on stuff like your, uh, like AMPK, right? Which is just that AMP or a dentist, I can't even speak today, AMP kinase, right? And that's basically just we'll call it the, the weight loss uh, mechanism, right? And it's kind of antagonistic to the other mechanism that we often see described in the health and fitness world, which is this mTOR signaling, right? Which is like, you know, your muscle building, your repair and growth signaling, right? And insulin affects that mTOR signaling, but it also affects that AMPK signaling in terms of it turns off that AMPK. Now that's not perfectly correct, but it's basically turning off that AMPK, right? And that's then signaling a lot of other things to say, oh, we actually have energy available to the body, right? So when we're dealing with this stuff, we have to, again, think evolutionarily. We want to signal to the body. If we want to have a good hormonal system, we want to signal to the body that we are in an environment that is conducive to reproductive health, right? We don't want to be in an environment that's saying, oh, we don't have a lot of energy availability. And as I just said, one of those hormones that's signaling about this energy availability is insulin, you know? Now we have all these other things, this cacophony of other hormones that are going on, like you mentioned there, leptin. Leptin is also signaling about energy availability because we could have a lot of energy available in the form of body fat, you know? So that's obviously playing into the system, right? 
that's not perfect because we'll talk about it in a second in terms of body fat is not it's not the deciding factor in this but it plays a role same with cortisol it's one of those things where look if you have to mobilize some of those fat stores you're going to have elevated cortisol right that's beneficial like anyone who goes on a fat loss diet they're probably going to have somewhat elevated cortisol to actually mobilize the fat that's that's what we want but in this context if we have to mobilize fat stores that's signaling to the body we don't have enough energy availability we need to mobilize fat stored for for later which is now you know um so all of these things it's basically working through the pathway of signaling to the body how much energy is available for reproductive health for survival all of those things right and you mentioned it before in our notes it's basically like a energy saving mode you know that's often what it's described as like or thought of like it's like oh we're going into energy saving mode you know when you're whatever you're, if you have an iphone it gets to 20 percent battery and it's like do you want to go into energy saving mode and it basically starts shutting down all of these non-vital processes for life right now you know like you can still do all the things on your phone it's not like your phone just stops working but it's not putting all the energy into all these you know secondary maybe oh i need that process sometimes it's not doing that it's saving energy and this is effectively what your body is doing and the reason it's saving energy is because of this low energy availability right and when we say energy availability what we're talking about there is calories like that's how we're getting energy like we don't photosynthesize i can't just walk out onto my balcony there and you know stand in the sun and get a load of energy it, you know it, it makes you feel energized for a few different reasons but that's not actually giving me the energy that I need. The energy that I need is coming from the calories that I eat. It's the food that I eat, right? And as we've discussed many times on the podcast, like this kind of calories in, calories out uh, balance here, this SECO equation, as it's often called, like we can see that, oh, if it's energy availability that matters, we kind of have two things here. We have the food that we eat, and then we have the energy that we expend throughout the day right and this is when we're talking about this low energy availability we're basically reaching a threshold where either the energy that we eat in the day is so low or the exercise that we do in the day is so high that we reach this kind of critical point and i'll give you an equation here now in a second but we reach this kind of critical point where your body starts going okay this means that we have to enter into energy saving mode right? And there's a few different cutoffs for this. And this is like, I, I hate giving equations because it's not like, like it gives you the illusion of being more scientific, but it's actually not that scientific. This is just, uh, you know, oh, this is seen across the board, but it's not perfect, right? So we have this energy availability equation here. Now I'll probably put it in the, in the show notes and stuff, because I'm just going to read out an equation and that's not, that's not exactly great, right? But anyway, energy availability is equal to your energy intake, right? And that's in calories in, the, in this example, right? Minus your energy expenditure, right? That's, so that's what we're talking about. That's the classic, you know, oh, this is your SECO equation, calories in, this is your energy intake, minus calorie expenditure. That's okay. Are we, are we in a deficit? Are we in a surplus? Whatever, right? But then that's divided by your fat-free mass. Now your fat-free mass is basically everything except for fat, right? Because fat is not as metabolically active right so we don't really need to it's kind of inert if you will so we don't really need to include it in the equation right now we want somewhere in a range of 30 to 45 calories 
kilocalories, if you're being more precise, uh, per kilo of fat-free mass per day, right? That's roughly where it is, right? That's, that seems to be energy sufficiency. Somewhere in that range, it's 30 to 45 calories per kilo of fat-free mass per day, energy sufficiency. Now, I know people are going to plug in their weight now. They're going to go, oh, I'm 70 kilos, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, Jesus, I'm at 29 or 27, right? But this is fat-free mass, right? So we have to subtract the... The, the fat mass which is actually a lot harder to do than you initially realize because do you know what percentage body fat you are do you know exactly how many kilos of body fat you have no of course you don't the only way to find that out is you know uh, uh, well getting a cadaver and basically weighing the fat you know so i don't think anyone's gonna go i wonder how much fat i have and basically kill themselves and weigh your fat right now we have other proxies we can you know or we have approximates with like a dexa scan or you know an in body or you know there's different methods to do it but we kind of don't have a perfect number so as i said don't get too caught up on like oh i'm 29.5 here like it's kind of irrelevant right but at 30 to 45 calories per kilo of fat-free mass per day seems to be energy sufficient right now this low energy availability state seems to be when you get below that 30 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass per day right now again this is not perfect this is not like oh i'm at 29 and i've you know i've somehow worked out my fat-free mass i'm going to run into issues some people are just more resistant resilient whatever word you want to use to seeing these hormonal adaptations you know whereas some people they're going to be at 35 and they're going to see issues right so this is why I, it, it seems extra scientific when you give an equation or whatever but realistically we just have to use what we actually have available to us which is the day-to-day -day experience you know but that's that's the cause now again putting that all into context what we've got is we have a situation where if you're eating less than this 30 you know, calories per kilogram of fat-free mass per day, you are now signaling to the body, that's basically an environmental signal to the body to say, oh, we need to go into energy saving mode, right? And then your body starts shutting down, not necessarily shutting down completely, but going into energy saving mode with all these other processes. And one of those processes is the menstrual cycle right and that's basically the way i think of it again I'm, I'm stupid here so i'm like look we have low energy availability we're basically just hairless apes so your body goes ooga, ooga, okay low energy not time for having babies let's turn that stuff off right and that's effectively what's going on right now we could wrap up the podcast here and go yeah look there you go there's your solution it's just a you know low energy availability see you later but that's not actually all that helpful there's a lot more nuance to this you know, um, so I don't know what you want to move on to that next, because there's a few things you've mentioned, but in terms of like fasting, for example, that we can get into now or we can kind of save them if, for a little bit later in terms of maybe we'll go on to why amenorrhea is an issue. But I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. So like we're, we're thinking about, um, you know, optimal health here and, and we we don't want to get to the stage. So just say um, a lot um of of women might be like okay well like i haven't um lost my period so it must be fine but this is something that can happen over over a number of months so we do need to have this kind of in the background of our head so like you're we saying um you know kind of dieting for you know four weeks for eight weeks likely might not have a huge effect um on this <clears throat> we're talking about it over a prolonged period of time and then we're saying like you know um you know like we're saying fasting so those daily periods like are we um are we fasting for long periods of the day 
are we restricting um, key macros? And in HA, what you'll see with, with a lot of women is that they'll have um, a very low dietary fat intake. They might not be consuming many carbs, but might have a high fiber intake with that. Um, so are they are they being really restrictive um, in that sense? Um, Just on that, if we can go back to that kind of thing that we're yeah. thinking about, we're going, oh, insulin seems to be the big player here. You know, yeah. so that's not to say that we want to like prioritize foods that like spike our insulin or anything like that. But if we're eating a low fat, low carbohydrate, high fiber meal or diet, I should say, like that's basically the, the, the the key here to like, that's what you would give to someone who is like type two diabetic. That's like, Oh, look, you need to really like manage your insulin or I don't have type two type one or something. You'd be like, you need to really manage your insulin level and we need to just get things under control here. So we're going to really, you know, try to suppress that insulin or whatever, you know? Um, so we're in a situation where people are doing the thing that leads to lower insulin levels, which some people would argue is, oh, this is you know, beneficial here in other contexts. But in this context, it's actually the signal that then leads to the downstream like loss of your, your menstrual cycle, you know? Um, so again, that doesn't mean, and we'll come on to like what to do later on in the podcast, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily go, oh, I'm going to eat a load of, I don't know, sugar straight from the fucking jar or whatever. But it does mean that if we're trying to solve this, we need to especially get enough carbohydrates. But it also yeah. means that we just need to have enough energy availability in, in general. And, and energy availability around training as well. So if you were just, you know, doing fasted training, um, you know, first thing in the morning and then, you know, just choking a protein shake and that's it. And then you're not eating until 2 p.m. Um, you know, these, these are all potential issues. Um, and, um, you know, amenorrhea, again, can be, you know, masked if you're on the oral contraceptive pill or other contraceptives. Um, and as well, something that's coming out, you know, more in research is um, the luteal phase defect as well. And something, again, it's it's not as severe as HA um, and might not be apparent until someone's um, trying for fertility. But again, it is still um, a menstrual cycle dysfunction. So it's essentially like a shortened luteal phase. So the second half of your cycle after ovulation, it's usually should be about um, 14, 16 days. Um, but for, again, it can be but from over-exercising like um, PCOS, endometriosis, um, that, that sort of thing. Um, but you will have a decrease in progesterone and the, the lining of your, of, your, of your womb, your uterus um, won't be um, as thick. You're, again, it won't be primed um, f- for implantation for the growth of a baby. So either you'll have reduced implantation um, or increased risk of, you know, um, a spontaneous miscarriage as well so that might be something that's not apparent until way later on until until you're trying to conceive um so these things again are just something to have in the back of your head it's not something to um, really scare yourself about because like we were saying um it affects women so differently and um you will take two women they'll both have the same bmi um and one will be absolutely fine on on lower calories and someone else might really um struggle hormonally um, and we don't really know that the reasons behind that um you know, we can hypothesize that it's due to, um, you know, a, a lower, lean, a, you know, lower, um, a higher lean mass in one person in general. Um, but we, we don't really know. Mm. Yeah. And again, it, this is one of those things that like whenever I think about the human body or just life in general, like in terms of like living organisms, I'm like, there's so many things that can go wrong. I'm like, I'm always surprised 
that things go right you know like it seems like (laughs) it seems like the things going right are in the like minority of possibilities but yeah here we are you know um but what we'll move on to now because i do want to make sure that at the end by the end of this podcast people get this kind of takeaway of like okay what do i actually do right but before we get on to that yeah why is amenorrhea an issue right because again look if you're a woman maybe you're still in the case of going like oh look that's they're saying fertility for they're saying this this and that i just not that's just not something i care about right now like you could be i don't know an 18 19 year old woman and you're kind of like who cares you know so why is this something that we should actually care about right like like are there any actual issues like okay cool i lost my period who cares you know like that's again a very well somewhat common uh, mentality to be in but w- what are the actual issues around losing your period what, what's it signaling is there any like like big major issues or is it just one of those things where it's like oh look this is just easily reversible you know i'll just eat low energy available or i'll eat a low energy available diet for a couple of years and then like i'll just start eating more and it'll all be okay what's the story there yeah so you need to think of this that like losing your period isn't just about not having your your period there are huge hormonal consequences and one of the most significant of that is estrogen deficiency so this again you you can see this in um, postmenopausal women where there is um you know decreased um bone mineral density um, so you will see this again in premenopausal women that um, have HA, so you'll see a decrease in bone mineral density. And again, um, whether that leads to fractures and then further down the line, you know, um, osteoporosis um, and other consequences of estrogen um, deficiency as well. Like it has effect on our cardiovascular system. Estrogen is generally um, cardioprotective, um, you know, um, so there's kind of, you know, twofold things there um, and as well on lipid profile. So it generally HA isn't associated um, with, you know, an increase in cholesterol, but there are some studies coming out that are, are comparing them. And again, that has a knock on effect of, um, you know, coronary artery disease further down the line as well. So it is something to to keep in mind. Yeah, um, it's actually a, bit of a weird one because you often see people go, oh, like if you lose weight, you're going to see an improvement in your lipid profile. I can't even speak. You're going to see an improvement in your lipid profile. And in most cases, that is the case. I actually get this like like a slightly different one like my ldl always goes up when i diet but then as soon as i'm back to energy sufficiency you know it goes back to normal you know um but what you will see is okay you could see that initially like let's say you get your blood work done four weeks every four weeks which is excessive amount of blood work to do but let's just say you get it done so you can see oh this is what's going on right or even as a woman let's say you get it literally done every single week right? um like right again excessive amount there's absolutely no need for that but you know let's say you get it so you can see what's going on with your blood work on a weekly basis right like if you're in a dieting phase you're in a phase where you're like okay i'm eating a lower amount of food like you might see oh my blood lipids are improving you might see your triglycerides go up because of fat mobilization or something like that but in general you're going to see your blood lipids improve but what happens oftentimes you'll see in amenorrhea is as soon as we lose that beneficial signal of estrogen you know we start seeing lipid profiles like get worse you know and people can be kind of shocked by that because they're like well i'm still losing weight surely we should be in a good position it was working before but we have to remember that hormones are not just responsible for like you know sexual development or you know sex related stuff they're really important for a variety of things within the body like you said like you know cardiovascular health in general especially estrogen really important like as a, a neuroprotective agent you know so we don't want to lose that signal because 
that's basically the signal for our body, all our cells to do different things. You know, some of those things might be beneficial. Some of those things might be negative, depending on how you look at it, but it's still a signal. We don't want to lose it because generally speaking, we end up with negative consequences there. Like there's a reason your body is like, yeah, we need to produce this hormone or signaling molecule to keep these things running. You know, it's basically like, if you don't have that, you've got some sort of like faulty electrical wiring here going on where it's like, oh yeah, sometimes that light just doesn't turn on when I flick the switch, you know, there's something wrong with the wiring. That's effectively what's going on here where you've now set up a situation where, yeah, you're, you're getting a little bit of estrogen signaling, but you know, you're, you're very low estrogen signaling because you're amenorrhea. Yeah, absolutely. And like you're saying, cognition is a big one and women that are estrogen deficient. And again, you see this in postmenopausal women, um, they're at higher risk for anxiety and mood disorders. Now, when you mention that, um, particularly to a premenopausal woman and you say, OK, there's going to be effect on your bone health, um, your cardiovascular health long term and your mood, they're like, OK, whatever. <laughs> you know, generally, it's, it's because it's not something that's very tangible. They're like, well, I don't really care about my um, osteoporosis risk down the line. I'll, I'll worry about that later on or heart disease. Like that's that's not something that will happen to me. Um, but then when you get into the other consequences, when you start talking about, you know, immune function, um, gastrointestinal issues and we start talking about performance as well um, so sports performance that's something that people will mostly listen to um, so particularly with with sports performance and like we were talking about um, red s and the female athlete um, triad again they're really not too concerned at that stage like they're at their you know the peak of their career and they're really not thinking about their osteoporosis risk or their cardiovascular and also like they're, they're they're athletes so they're probably thinking well you know what i'm an athlete so i have better cardiovascular system anyway so it doesn't matter i have better bone mineral density anyway because you know i'm, I'm doing sports or whatever so like i have some to lose who cares but again that's it, it's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot long term yeah absolutely that that's the thing but once you start talking to them again mood they're like don't care um but once you start talking to them about their sports performance and like actually you know um if you do have um a fracture um that could one end your career or you could be off for six weeks mm. um your um, endurance might go down your your power output your ability to recover um then they kind of start listening you know um and that might be kind of one of the most things that might push them towards again um you know, increasing, making, I suppose, taking better care of their energy availability and um, taking um, better care of the amount of exercise that they're doing and as well, immune functions, a big one. So, you know, are you or are your client, are you um, suffering from, you know, kind of repeated head colds that aren't, you know, explained, just, you know, constantly knocked with that sort of thing. GI issues, again, um, it, you know, it's very, you know, IBS is, is so prevalent in women, but are you, um, you know, writing off um, yourself or your client as someone just they just have IBS and then once you start kind of piecing all these all these things together it's like okay well they're suffering with GI issues they've had you know two colds in the last month um, and now they have a stress fracture like what's you know what's what's going on here um, so these these are things that 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 you do need to you do need to think about mm. and again even it seems really like again condescending so i probably shouldn't say it but like if you tell, <laughs> say to women be like look this actually affects like your hair skin nails all that kind of stuff 
like all of a sudden people their ears kind of pick up they're like oh actually Jesus, yeah. I, I have been noticing that my my hair feels a bit like more brittle it, it doesn't have that normal like a luster that kind of shine to it you know my nails are they are a bit weaker you know stuff like that people all of a sudden, all of a sudden start going okay actually this is something that i need to pay attention to because look as i said a million times on this podcast gary said it as well like guys are fucking stupid you know um, <laughs> but it's very and like i know guys for example will literally be like this is why the guys don't go to the doctor even though they have an issue or whatever like they're like oh I'll just you know I'll, I'll, that's a problem for future me right but some of these issues around being amenorrheic, it's very easy easy to fall into that same mentality of going, that's a problem for future me. I don't have to think about it right now. Or, you know, that's that's something that happens to someone else. Yeah. It to me, you know? But then when you actually start seeing the consequences immediately, and they might be you know, minor consequences, you might be like, oh, well, you know, my skin is not as good as it normally is. And, you know, my hair feels a little bit more brittle. My nails are a little bit more brittle, like different things like that. You might be able, you might be going, it's not a huge issue, but if you're able to correlate it and go, oh, it's actually caused by my actions. I'm actually seeing these different things. And like, obviously a little bit more uh, like in front of you is like, oh, I actually start getting fractures more often. Or uh, I start noticing that, you know, again, like I'm constantly getting colds or I'm constantly dealing with like, just if there's any sickness going around, I'm sick, you know, like stuff like that. We have to realize that that's all related to this. You know, it's all related to this basically energy saving mode you know in normal times you would put enough resources into your immune system you would put enough resources into making sure your hair skin nails all that stuff is in peak health but you're actually not in peak health you're in a state where you're in energy saving mode you know and again energy saving mode works for a while you know you can be at that 20 percent battery and you know normally let's say your your charge lasts whatever 12 hours and just picking a number there you know it's 12 hours and then you put it in energy saving mode and it lasts you know 16 hours so you're getting a good few hours extra but it's still a position that you're in where you're not a- actually able to do all of the things that a fully charged battery would be able to do you know and the only way we can get solve this issue is by charging the battery which is food in this case you know um but is there anything else that you want to mention in terms of issues around amenorrhea because otherwise we'll just move on to how to deal with this yeah well another thing i suppose is um uh, like oral contraceptives and um you know that masking amenorrhea um and again just specific to um female athletes in the oral contraceptive pill um like you're saying the our menstrual cycle um is a, a barometer of hormonal health and if you have someone competing at a high level that's on the oral contraceptive pill it might be masking um a lot of the issues um that that, that we we just mentioned um so again like the the oral contraceptive pill you know there's many reasons why women might go on it and like I, the biggest thing is to prevent pregnancy and obviously if you're an athlete um being pregnant is not ideal so it makes sense that that a lot, a lot of women might be on it especially um if they suffer with heavy periods um but it is something that um women need to be informed about um and like the oral contraceptive pill as a contraceptive choice needs to be an informed choice made by a female athlete um and you know in our notes i i popped in that there was like a survey done on nearly 200 female athletes um going through their knowledge of oral contraceptive pill and of uh, not just the oral contraceptive pill but of contraceptives 
um, and the menstrual cycle. Um, and it was only something like, you know, 16 um, identified estrogen and progesterone as the, the main hormones in the menstrual cycle, um, you know, and then 18 um, identified um, amenorrhea as the loss of a menstrual cycle, um, you know, and 88%, you know, weren't aware um, of the, the differences between um, contraceptives and oral contraceptive pill. Um, so it is a huge issue. Um, and again, like we said, we can be masking all those issues that, that we were mentioning before. Mm. And again, this is one of those things where it's a very tricky thing to navigate yourself, you know, because like you're in, you maybe start, you went on the pill maybe when you were 13 or something because, you know, your, your parents or you were just like, oh, like, you know, we need to help regulate your cycle and, you know, we want to prevent pregnancy and whatever other reasons, whatever reasons, you know. Um, but now you're in a position where you don't necessarily have as much of a being in touch with your own cycle. You don't know what the signs and symptoms of a normal cycle are, let alone one that's like, you know, we're re reaching some sort of dysregulation here, you know. And again, as an athlete, this can very easily happen where you're going on the oral contraceptive for whatever other reason you're like, oh, I don't want to get pregnant or, you know, I want to have more control over my cycle, whatever the reason is, you know, but the key thing to remember here is it's not actually curing amenorrhea. Like you might still have that, like effectively it's just breakthrough bleeding. You might still have that bleed once a month, you know, you're on your three weeks of the pill and then your placebo week or whatever, you might still have a bleed there and go, Oh, this is you know, clearly regularly cycling. I have a cycle, you know, but it's not actually the same. It's not actually the same um, processes that are occurring. And that can occur that, you know, effectively it's just breakthrough bleeding can occur even in the case that we're amenorrheic, you know? So it's yeah. very easy to think that, oh, I have a cycle. I have to deal. I have a period every single month. I have to, you know, get all my period supplies. I have to do all my stuff. I have to do all the stuff that someone that has a regular cycle has to do. So clearly I'm in that, in that camp, you know, when in reality you possibly aren't, you know, and this is one of those things that's very hard to deal with. Um, because I mean, it's, it's something that you see all the time. At least you see it complained about all the time where some, a woman will go to their doctor, just their GP or whatever and go, I'm having, you know, menstrual irregularities. I have amenorrhea and like, I just haven't had my period. And oftentimes they might be prescribed. Oh, well, we'll just go on the pill to see, sort that out, you know? And that's the exact opposite of what we need to do in, in this case, you know? And that's not to say, like, I'm not a doctor. I literally, as I've said multiple times on the podcast, I'm actually an idiot, right? So don't listen to me, right? <laughs> you can go out and like read up on this stuff yourself. But I just read out a quote here from the, uh, international olympic committee right the use of combined oral contraceptives for the intensive uh, intention of regaining menses or improving uh, bone mineral density in those with red s which as we've discussed is just this amenorrhea here is not recommended right and that's from the international olympic committee right and that's the consensus statement on relative energy deficiency in sports in 2018 update right and the reason i bring that up is because i know a lot of people listening to this are either in the position where they're on the pill and it's masking the situation or they think, oh, I'll just go on the pill and that'll get my cycle back to regular, you know, but, and it's something maybe we'll touch on in a second as well. Is like, you can also have amenorrhea like post pill, you know, you got post pill amenorrhea and this is, you now have a situation where you could be on the pill 
uh, mask your amenorrhea, right? Then come off the pill for whatever reason. You're like, oh, actually I have amenorrhea. You go to your doctor and they go, go back on the pill, you know? And then all of a sudden you have this, uh, you go off it again and you're like, oh, now I have this post pill amenorrhea. Like you can be hit a lot of different ways here. You know, there's basically no biological free lunch with any of this stuff, you know? Um, so I don't know if you want to say anything on that, but if not, we'll get into this kind of how to deal with it. Yeah, so uh, like I like to think that people go in on the pill to to regulate their cycle. I like to think that that's a thing of the past. <laughs> I know that it, it probably still does happen, but I like to think that that's just something that that doesn't doesn't happen anymore. Um, but like you're saying, if you are on the pill, um, it is monitoring for those other signs, like we were saying, like immune function. You know, if there's any niggling injuries that just won't recover, um, gastrointestinal um, difficulties as well. Um, and like you're we saying, so you can get post pill amenorrhea. So most, the majority, I mean, like, you know, 99% of women will recover their, their period, you know, within the first three to six months. Um, but if not, again, it's something that you need to go back to your GP and then rule out um, other causes of it, of this. So like um, PCOS, like I mentioned earlier, like hyperprolactinemia, um, premature ovarian failure, those need to be ruled out first before coming to like an idiopathic, you know, post-pill amenorrhea as a cause. Mm. Yeah, because I always think of it like if I was to go on testosterone, right, because this, this is effectively the same thing. Like if a woman goes on the pill, she's going on estrogen and progesterone or estrogen. It, it, there's a few different ones, but basically she's going on those female hormones, estrogen and progesterone, right? If I was to go on male hormones, testosterone, like that's what people do. They go on steroids, right? That's what quote unquote steroids are like all of those hormones we just talked about they're steroids right but if i was a guy to go on testosterone and then come off testosterone you often see this discussed in terms of like the bodybuilding world people will be like they basically will be like yeah look i've shut myself down that's the, the terminology that they've used they'll be like i don't get back to regular hormonal function for a while you know and that's normal now you can literally go on steroids and just come off them and I don't recommend this in any way, uh, but you can come off them and most people will recover down the line, right? Now, there's a lot of different things that people do, post-cycle therapies that people do to, you know, ideally, hopefully quickly recover that, that hormonal system. But in reality, it's still one of those things where you have been on exogenous hormones, whether it's, you know, you're injecting yourself with testosterone or you're taking the pill. That's not, you know, I'm not doing a value judgment here. And like, there's a variety of reasons Like people go on testosterone for TRT, like they, they, they need it to, to function because again, these hormones, they serve many functions. Right. Um, but if we come off it, you can't just expect things to be perfect. Like you've been exogenously supplying these, these hormones. So stuff is going to be downregulated, dysregulated. Now, again, in most cases, everything will just come back online and you know, it's, it's no big deal, but you kind of have to bear that in mind that it does take a little bit of what a little bit of time, before everything starts regulating itself again, you know? And if you're three months, six months into this, like post pill, and you know, there's still no period here. There's still no, you don't seem to have any kind of regular cycle at all. That's, that's the time where you need to go to your doctor and go, what's the story here? Is there something I need to do? Then you could have like low energy availability and you could have been on the pill mm -hmm. and not noticed that you were actually amenorrheic. So again, this is what we said earlier on. This, this stuff is very tricky to navigate and i wish i had this like checklist do this do this here's your flow chart whatever but, yeah it's, it's, it's not it's there's a lot to this 
you know? Um, but let's just get back to this hypothalamic amenorrhea because that's the stuff that, again, the vast majority of people listening to this, that's the one that they're going to deal with because you're, you're in the health and fitness world. This is the one that we see the most often, right? It's the one that's related, like we've been discussing, to this low energy availability, right? So how do we actually deal with that? What's the situation, right? Let's say you are an athlete, you're a, a coach that's client, uh, that has a client that maybe they are amenorrheic, you're just a woman listening to this and you have amenorrhea, or maybe even you just have like menstrual irregularities, you know? Like I know a lot of women, once they get their diet dialed in, all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, I used to have like a very irregular cycle. It used to be like four weeks one time and six weeks the next and all over the place. And then they start really getting, especially energy sufficiency, they start noticing that, oh, actually it's now back to just a consistent four weeks every single time, you know? So there's a variety of people that this impacts but what's the process? How do we deal with this? Yeah. So first you need to think about, you know, the, like the treatment depends on the ideology. So the cause, so why, you know, why has this happened? Is it down to disordered eating? Um, does um, this person have an underlying eating disorder? Um, or for a lot of people, it can just be accidental um, low energy availability and just like a mismatch um, in energy availability. So the output and input. Um, so for this, particularly for things like the, the disordered eating, you really need a multidisciplinary approach. So someone might need um, not only their you know trainer or coach on board, but also maybe a, a sports dietitian. Again, depending on the person, they might also need um, a psychologist if there is a background of again disordered eating. Um, they might need to do something like CBT. Um, um, to help with this um, but generally if, if we're looking at the more um, you know like accidental quote-unquote side of things where um, you just uh, it's an unintentional um, low energy state um, one you're thinking about more food okay so at adding you know a couple hundred calories a day kind of two three hundred again this will depend on the person um, but generally an increase of even 350 calories a day um, will see um, women um, regaining their cycle within kind of three to six months okay so around about that so one more food um, and then also um, eating more regularly so eating throughout the day so like we were talking about intermittent fasting earlier um, so not having long periods um, of going without food um, eating uh, fueling appropriately around exercise as well um, and then we're also looking not only at um, eating regularly, but also um, not kind of just say loading our, our protein intake at one point in the day. So we focus so heavily on protein intake, either, you know, kind of um, pre post exercise. Um, but for recovery, I mean, we want to have um, that protein intake spread out when I have frequent protein feedings throughout the day as well. Um, you know, making sure we're consuming um, adequate carbs, that our fats aren't too low. Again, um, you know, women are generally afraid of, of fat intake, but um, fat intake is um, important, again, for our hormonal health. All right. Um, so we need to, to, to make sure that we're not cutting out um, any macronutrients here. Then we're looking at exercise. Um, so our exercise, you know, in intensity, duration, frequency. Um, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, um, HIIT, again, can be, you know, a very kind of stressful state on the body. So swapping out things like HIIT for LIS, um, just getting exercise um, to 
giving it more of a backseat. Now, food intake, um, calorie intake is more correlated with um, the low energy um, deficient state. And even um, for a lot of women, just increasing calories. And like you're saying, having the more frequent feedings um, can um, help them regain their period um, irrespective of exercise. Um, but generally, it is a good idea to, to um, exercise less you know, to put it simply. All right. Um, and then we're looking at sleep as well. Just so on, on that exercise before we move on, because I, I will definitely forget it. Like people will ask questions around like, oh, is there different types of exercise that are potentially better? Should I resistance train? Should I do cardiovascular training? Should I do X, Y, and Z? And like, from the perspective of this, it's often said that resistance training is a really good modality, especially for people that have disordered eating, because it gets them out of the mindset of thinking about burning calories, because a lot of people, especially that are dealing with this stuff, they're in this mindset of, oh, I need to burn a thousand calories in this workout or whatever it is, you know, when in reality, what we should be focusing on or what we could be focusing on so you can still train, you can still push yourself and do all the stuff is like resistance training, because then you can get into a mindset of, oh, I actually want to get stronger, which has the double-edged benefit of, first of all, you're not burning through a, a fucking million and one different calories every single week through exercise, but also it's showing you the benefit of fueling effectively, you know, because you start saying, yes. oh, well, if I don't fuel effectively, I'm not able to increase my training and my training volume or my training intensity. I'm not actually able to progress my exercises. I'm not able to get stronger. So it's a nice little double-edged sword benefit here where, oh, it isn't as calorie intensive and it's actually teaching you that oh fueling is a good thing and you'll often see this in terms of people like on instagram or tiktok or whatever people will come from a past a history of eating disorders and then they find the gym and you might think oh well this is just like swapping one disordered pattern for another but when they get into this kind of resistance training paradigm all of a sudden they're like wow I actually need to fuel myself. If I want to perform and I want to do well with this, I need to fuel myself. And it can be a really nice positive feed forward loop. So I just wanted to mention that because again, I would forget it. Yeah, definitely. And and I suppose that, that that as well is one of the reasons why I mentioned that you you can regain your cycle by you know not actually decreasing um exercise like resistance training and just doing a food approach um and as well like a, a, you know a lot of women who who lose their cycle through um you know um low energy availability there's people who love training um so taking away that again can be something that's that's really stressful um and you know like we were saying earlier um cortisol and stress again has um an effect on our menstrual function too um so you might be taking away something thinking that again this is what's going to help regain your cycle but again you're you're increasing your stress levels in another in another way um so stress management um you know is is, is a big thing as well um and then sleep again so it's just for helping kind of decrease um cortisol levels so um you know whether that's um, you know having kind of regular like waking sleep times, just like having good sleep hygiene, making sure you're getting enough um, sleep every night, but definitely stress management is a huge one, um, and probably something that's underappreciated as well. And again, you have to think of it in terms of even if it's just mental energy that you're expending, you know, it's like oh, it's psychological stress, it's just the the stress of exams, the stress of whatever. Like that is still energy that is being expended, you know, you know, it might not be a huge contributor, you know, I'm not saying you're sitting there, you know, and you're burning thousands upon thousands of calories, just thinking like there was a, a thought process of that 
a couple of years ago where like they'd measure the calorie expenditure of like chess players and they were like jesus like they're just literally sitting there like thinking and moving a few times and they're burning thousands of calories here when in reality they were actually fidgeting around they're moving around a lot more than was being accounted for so yeah you do burn energy when just by thinking and whatever but when we're talking about this stressed state like again it is energy resources that are being used up you know and that could be stress from exercise you know that could be stress from life it could be stress from you know whatever the source of the stress is it still needs to be lowered if you want to really solve the issues here you know um which kind of brings me on to just the next point because especially related to exercise and and diet when we're talking about this stuff because they in my mind at least they're the two biggest levers we have to pull, right? Because the stress management stuff, like it's one of those ones that's really wishy-washy, right? And I, I wish it wasn't, but it can be very hard to change. Like I'm thinking of a client I have right now, like in their life, they have so many things going on at the moment. There's no way that we can just go, oh, look, just stress less, right? Like we can bring in stress management techniques. We can bring in bringing or breathing techniques and whatever else but they're going to be still stressed because they have X, Y, and Z going on in their life. And until they are finished, they're going to be still stressed. So it's a bit wishy-washy, but that doesn't mean we ignore it. We still have to look at it. We still have to go, okay, you know, we need to lower that wherever possible. But what we do instead is we go, okay, we have these other stressors that we have more leeway with. Like you're in control of the food that you eat. You're in control of how much you exercise. Obviously, if you're an athlete and you're on a team or whatever, maybe you don't have as much control, but at least you have some control, right? So when we're talking about training, we can reduce training. We can reduce the intensity of training, especially cardiovascular training. And we can induce the, or reduce the duration of it, the amount of calories expended. So we have a lot of leeway there. And the same with the diet, we have a lot of leeway there, right? And that brings me to this uh, thought process, because you'll see this a lot in the, we we'll call it the amenorrheic community, you know, people that are in this community, this like, women's health community, right, that are talking about and trying to deal with this stuff. There's a kind of dichotomy you'll see in the this niche, right, where it's like this all-in approach versus this like slower approach, right? And by that, I mean, like people will say like i'm going all in right and they'll do stuff like completely cut out exercise right and eat a a a good chunk of calories over where where they think their maintenance level is right they'll basically just eat with a you know they're just like i don't i'm I'm not going to restrict myself at all right um and you'll see this kind of all-in approach and that's actually really effective right but then you'll also see this slower approach this more we'll say kind of constrained approach where People will go, yeah, you can still exercise. You can still do all the things that you enjoy training wise, you know, okay, yeah, we're not going to be able to stop stress all, all, all stress or whatever. And, and okay, I realize <clears throat> you're a bit hesitant to increase food excessively, you know, maybe you still have some sort of body composition goals and whatever it is. So we're just going to go a little bit slower than with that. We're only going to increase like 200, 300 calories, right? Now, I personally, I fall a little bit more towards that kind of slower approach with things. And the reason for that is I just think it's better long-term to really build up good habits, right? So we can really keep good habits. We can really instill good habits by going that slower approach, right? But like you said, it, you still have to kind of commit to that kind of a three to six month time frame because that seems to be what it is in the research, at least, you know, it's that kind of three to six months. That's where we should start seeing some sort of benefit from all the interventions that we, we have done, right? Now, that all-in approach, that's not to say that that's bad. That's, it's actually quite effective 
for some people, especially if those people have been very food focused for a long time. You know, if they're in this position where like they're, I hate the word, like kind of obsessed with food, like their whole thoughts are like, how many calories can I burn? Like they know that if they go into the gym to train, they're still going to be looking at their calorie expenditure. They know it's like, oh, like I, I need to eat 200 calories extra. Like they're still going to be obsessively tracking calories and they do other like habits like, oh, I reduced my training, but I'm going to increase my steps. I'm going to increase my like non-exercise activity thermogenesis, you know? So for them, you know, we might not be able to get the, the buy-in, the actual results with a slower approach, which seems kind of counterintuitive. And with them, we kind of need to like wipe the slate clean. We need to start over. And for them, we need to go, we just need to go all in. You need to reduce exercise down to like the bare minimum. You need to not even think about food in terms of the calorie expense or the calorie input. You're just thinking about I'm fueling throughout the day. I'm eating, you know, three to four meals per day, spread out, spread out an even spread of carbohydrates, fats, protein, et cetera, throughout the day. And I'm not going to restrict myself. With, with calories like if i want to have a bowl of cereal or something on top of the food that i had i'm gonna have that you know so what are your thoughts on that because in my mind i i favor it. In, in most cases if anyone who's you know trained under me or got coaching from me they'll know i'll generally use the kind of slower approach with this stuff and i call it the slower approach it's more a conservative approach i suppose we call it right um but what are your thoughts on that kind of all-in approach versus the conservative approach? Yeah. So I don't know if you follow um, Stephanie Buttermore. So she's the I've one. Seen that, some videos, yeah. yeah. So so she 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 did the the, the all-in approach. Now she's fantastic. But just like you were saying, she's someone that would have been you know tracking everything you know down to a T. Um, and that's something that you know it really suited her to do. Um, but. Again, it, it, I think it just comes down down to the person. And I think for, for me, I would be leaning to more towards a slower approach um, because for um, a lot of women, it is more an accidental thing that might be happening so saying maybe to um someone that's in kind of like a general kind of a gym goer who has also you know lost their period kind of telling them well nothing matters anymore and just um eat and don't exercise um you can be undoing a lot of maybe the 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 good work and progress that you've put in and you still can achieve really good results with a slower approach as well and like i was saying by even just increasing you know 350 calories um, a day you know maybe mostly from kind of carbohydrate sources um you know peeling back on things like high intensity exercises and duration so you can still um be working towards um a goal without just saying nothing matters anymore but again the all-in approach um is um suitable for like very specific um types of people and again um for just say like stephanie buttermore like she wasn't working towards like a competition um or like the olympics or so if you're talking about you know an athlete um again saying to them don't don't train and just kind of eat whatever you want um it it just might not be suitable for them even in, in terms of their their performance kind of longer term as well and just because you mentioned it there as well like you will see this oftentimes in obviously look you know people that are prepping for bodybuilding shows like women going for like physique bikini whatever it is you know um 
they will potentially get into an amen or ex state, right? And there's two things for that. First of all, I want to just emphasize, because we, we kind of actually just glossed over it earlier on, but the thing about that is it's not actually related to body fat. That's one thing that people say a lot. They're like, right, oh, it's the body fat. Once you reach a certain level of body fat, you know, you're going to be amenorrheic. And that's not the case because you often see this in people that have like bariatric surgery or different kinds of surgery um, and their food intake goes down massively, but they're still like, say for example, they're still obese, you know? Um, yeah. So they have a lot of fat, you know, it's not related to body fat, but they'll get amenorrhea, right? Yeah. So it's not the BMI, well, to some extent BMI is correlated, but that's because that's generally correlated with energy intake, right? Um, but the thing about it, it's not actually body fatness, right? That's that's not the thing that determines this, right? Like you can be low body fat. And as long as you are in a, a high enough energy availability, you're most likely going to have a regular cycle. Now, there's probably some, you know, point where it's like, you know, you're down to like whatever, 7% body fat as a woman or something. There's probably some point, right? But most often it's related to the things you do to either get to that body fat or to stay at that body fat, which in general is a calorie deficit, right? That's that's what's happening, you know? Um, so when we're talking about someone who has a physique competition, like it's, this is a hard thing to manage and something that you generally would try to manage with your coach. Um, like you might be okay with the trade-off of being amenorrheic for the last couple of weeks going into your competition because you're like, well, I still need to get a little bit leaner for this show, right? But regardless of that, you have to have a plan at the back end of that. You have to have a plan of, okay, well, how am I going to get calories up to maintenance? How am I going to effectively reverse out of this so that I can regain hormonal health and all the other health parameters, right? And the reason I bring that up is because that also applies to the general population that are dieting as well, right? You can be in a dieting phase. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Anyone who says like, oh, dieting in general is toxic, they're just wrong, right? You can be in a dieting phase. You can want fat loss. You can get fat loss and it doesn't need to be like pathological. It doesn't need to be a huge issue, right? However, we have to have a plan at the back end of that, right? We have to have a plan of, well, what, how am I going to eat at maintenance? How am I going to eat at maintenance? Yeah, like I need to have this kind of, okay, I'm dieting right now, but the diet has a definitive end point. At some stage, it's going to be over. And then I'm going to increase food. So what does my diet look like longer term when I increase food, you know? So I really want to emphasize that because that's regardless of the situation, whether you're a physique competitor or like a, just generally looking for a bit of fat loss. We need to have those periods of eating that maintenance, calorie sufficiency, energy sufficiency, because that's what's actually going to fix this issue, right? Um, and there's one thing I want to mention on that. There is a, a thought process of, or you can just eat at maintenance and it will solve this issue. And for a lot of people that will actually happen, right? Like if you're eating within that, like energy sufficient state, like you're in an energy availability and it's in that kind of 30 to 45 uh, range that we were talking about earlier on, like a lot of people will see, uh, you know, a resumption of their menstrual cycle eating at that. However, if we're really committed to fixing this, we almost want to be just erring on the side of eating a little bit more than maintenance. You know, doesn't mean that you have to be in this like massive surplus. You don't need to be in a 500 calorie surplus or whatever, but we kind of want to be going, right. Yeah. We're not just like supplying this sufficient signal. We're supplying a, Oh, this is a great, really conducive environment to energy availability. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by being in a surplus. And again, it doesn't need to be massive, but 
we want to be just above maintenance. Now, again, you can look at maintenance from the perspective of, you know, typing in your data into an online calculator and that's, that's fine. Um, but really what we want to do is use a combination of our energy throughout the day, our, how we feel throughout the day, how our weight is trending, which is a little bit harder for women, obviously, because you've got these menstrual cycle fluctuations, but fortunately or unfortunately we're in an amenorrheic state. So they're not as impactful, (laughs) you know? Um, so we, we do still have, you know, fluctuations, but you can be in a position where you're like, okay, I've got calories dialed in to a point where my weight is relatively stable. It's in around the same weight. And then we want to go, okay, maybe we'll add hundred calories on top of that, right? Maybe 200 calories on top of that. And during this time, this is a great time to be focusing on like resistance training or something where you're like, I'm actually just going to go into this kind of like a, a gain taming phase. Like it's really a bulking phase. You're kind of just like, I'm trying to actually gain a little bit of size. Um, but we do also want to be wary of, expending too many calories then in the pursuit of trying to build muscle right so it all comes back to this energy side of things um and as a result we need to manage our training and our diet but i do find at least in my experience i find like eating just a little bit more than maintenance is probably a better way to go yeah absolutely fantastic and um and then finally we probably should say just uh, as a note, uh, you could also focus on bone building nutrients, right? Because we talked about the diet, we didn't talk about like the specifics of it. Like it would, in the research, it suggested that like a uh, a higher carbohydrate approach is probably more beneficial, and that makes sense if you go back to that kind of like insulin is this kind of energy availability hormone. We want to make sure that we're really signaling that there's a lot of energy available. So we probably don't want to do something like a, a ketogenic diet for example we don't want to be on like a a low carbohydrate diet we want to be on a sufficient calorie diet with an emphasis on getting enough carbohydrates like getting enough of everything fats carbohydrates and protein but just really making sure those carbohydrates are in a good place right but then we also potentially want to focus on like bone building nutrients you know like vitamin d and calcium because if we are dealing with something that causes lower bone mineral density and especially if like you say you're on the the pill and you didn't know that you're amenorrheic like this could have been a long time that you were in a, a calorie insufficient state and there could be significant like bone loss there right so we want to make sure that we are trying to regain that stuff and this is again why i generally encourage people to still continue doing resistance training exercise when you are recovering from this because you know that's great for building bones as well right um so that's one thing, just bone building nutrients. And we're really just talking about vitamin D and calcium. There's a million yeah. and other ones that we could potentially talk about, but vitamin D and calcium are, are the main ones. And then the final thing I want to just note on this is, look, we're giving you this information as, oh, this is something that you could potentially think about doing or doing in combination with your coach. Or if you are a coach, you know, talk to your, your clients, your athletes with this stuff. But you might have to get some like outsourcing with this stuff right and i don't just mean like in terms of knowing what to do calories macros training whatever all that stuff i mean like you actually might need some like cbt or uh acceptance commitment therapy you know to actually be able to do this stuff you know you might need psychological help and this is especially the case if there is some sort of like disordered eating in there now i did a podcast recently with brian and it'll it should be out already by the time people listen to this. Um, but we did it on like just disordered eating, right? And there's a lot of things, a lot of tips in that that are potentially beneficial. But even still, you can use those tips, but you're probably better off working with someone if you are dealing with disordered eating and especially in an amenorrheic state. Because again, 
the longer we're in this state, the worse the health outcomes are to some extent, you know, so we want to get this like resolved as soon as possible, as soon as we know, right? And as a result of that, there are some uh, modalities that are beneficial for this, like CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy seems to be quite beneficial for this. I personally like the combination of CBT and acceptance commitment therapy. Um, but that is something that you should definitely look into because they'll also give you tools with that in terms of like stress management and really helping you understand the underlying like oh well why do i need to lose weight or why am i doing this you know because it's very easy to know what to do to deal with this but it doesn't necessarily solve the reasons behind why you were doing this like you might be like oh i just need to be a smaller individual and you just have those thoughts ingrained and just eating more is not going to get rid of that you know um we need to actually change our thought processes you know and again i've seen this a lot with a few a few clients i'm thinking of especially now where like we were dealing with their amenorrhea and the key turning point was actually the thought process it was more so that like oh i'm adequately fueling oh there's a reason for this i actually feel better my training is improving and you actually see those benefits and again that's changing the thought process and then they're actually able to go like fully in with this like not to confuse it with the, the all-in approach but they're able to go like okay, I'm actually ready to commit to eating a bit more. I'm actually ready to commit to like reducing my training volume more, or, like different things like that, you know? Um, but the one thing I want to emphasize again, because we did just talk about it a second ago, in dealing with this, like going on the pill is not the, it doesn't fix this, you know? So it's not part of our solution, like plan of action. You might want to go on the pill for other reasons, but it's not part of our, like, here's the process of how we deal with this, how we get you back to regularly cycling, you know? And it's not providing enough of a stimulus in terms of the estrogen or whatever to fix the bone mineral density loss. It's not, it's basically just masking the issue like because you can effectively get further into an energy deficit now without, you're like, oh, I still have a period, you know? Um, but anyway, is there anything else that you would like to uh, put on that? Because look, this stuff, we could talk about every single nuance of this. We could go down another rabbit hole with this or another rabbit hole with that because it is a very nuanced topic and we'll probably create more content about this in future. Like I keep saying, like, I wish we had this like flow chart. We'll probably make a flow chart or something. So at least you have some sort of like, Oh, do this and then do this, you know? Um, but that's all for the future. But for now, do you have anything to kind of add to this? Yeah. So I think like you're saying, we're, we're really just skimming the surface, you know, with this year where we're giving, you know, um, some tips, some pointers um, and some things to, to look out for. Um, and I think a lot of this information, you know, for, for a lot of women, even kind of, you know, talking about the pill and a lot of women might be worried now listening to this being like, I'm on the pill, you know, am I going to have, you know, osteoporosis now when I'm older? Um, and it's just, it's something that if you are concerned about, you know, talk to your, talk to your GP about, um, but it's not something I, we didn't want to, I suppose, put the fear of God into you in, in this episode either. It is just something to have ticking at the back of your head. You know, am I fueling appropriately? Um, you know, is my my stress, my mood out of control? Um, you know, do I have um, GI issues, immune function, dysregulation, et cetera? Um, it's just to keep those um, taken away at the back of your head. And if it's something that you are concerned about, absolutely talk to your GP about it um, talk to a sports dietitian you can chat with us um, and we can you know refer you on if if um, appropriate yeah. and again the whole process of this stuff is 
basically you want to make sure that you're eating enough calories like to boil it down to the utmost simplicity like that's what it is and that sounds again like somewhat condescending being like oh it's so fucking easy to fix this you just have to eat enough but there's a number of barriers between that but if you're just worried about this you're kind of going like i'm not really sure the thing that you really want to do is go okay i want to spread my calories out throughout the day so at no period of the day am i dealing with this low energy availability state you know that's the first step, right? You want to then make sure that you're eating enough calories throughout the day, you know? And again, you can do a calculation. I'll put the calculation in the, uh, the show notes and whatever else, but you want to go basically go, okay, find a calorie calculator online. Am I eating enough? Is it, am I eating at least that maintenance calories that this calculator is telling me, you know, then we'll do this kind of energy availability thing. Now, again, you're not going to be able to work out your fat-free mass. So it's not perfect, but you know, whatever. Um, but basically, they're the two big things. You want to make sure that you're eating enough total calories and that you're spreading them out throughout the day. If you do those things, like the other things are still important, but at least you know you've looked after the biggest lever here. You know, you've looked after the thing that's going to be most impactful, right? Then you can start implementing the rest of things because that's probably how we would do it if we had someone that's coming to us. We're going to go, right, look, I know you love training. I know you love X, Y, and Z. You have this stress. You have whatever else going on the thing that we have the biggest control over is eating enough. So let's make sure you're eating enough. And then let's make sure that there's not like an intermittent fasting protocol going on or whatever. It's like you're eating from morning till the evening. You know, you're like, you're, you're getting it dialed in throughout the day, you know? Um, but anyway, look, we'll wrap it up here. We obviously still have a few episodes to go in the female health series. Um, so look, if people are enjoying this, Look, it, it really does help us when people share it online. They you know, share it with their friends. I know people are like, you know, you're in like a group with other girls or whatever. It's like, just share it with them so that we're getting good information out there because that's why we're producing them. Look, realistically, it doesn't really help us a huge amount to produce this content. It's not like, you know, I, Nicola's got a million extra clients now. I've got a million extra clients because we produce these. Like we produce these episodes because we actually want to help people. So if you want to help us with that mission, you know, sharing it really does help. Share it on your stories on Instagram or wherever. Share it in your WhatsApp groups or whatever it is. You know, the more people that view it, the more people that you know see this content, etc. The more people that we can actually help and impact. You know, um, but other than that, look, we do still have coaching spots available. You can find out all that stuff in the, the show notes below. And uh, other than that, look, you can follow us on social media. We say it every episode. I'm not going to go through the whole rigmarole again. Follow us on social media, YouTube and Instagram. There are kind of two main ones. So make sure you're following their email list. You'll get a lot of content that doesn't go anywhere else. So make sure you're on that. Um, but yeah, look, you can follow us on social media and you'll see everything that we're doing. Um, so do you want to wrap up anything finally, Nicola? Tell uh, any, 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 anything going on in your life other than that? We'll just we'll end the episode. No, no, nothing, no, nothing big. Looking forward to, to, to the next episode. I think, what is it on? Uh, PCOS and endometriosis. So stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> anyway, guys, look, we'll see you in the next one.